Welcome back to Imago Gay, a podcast dedicated to the value of Imago Day because equality and dignity for BIPOC and LGBTQ people is an essential right of being human. This week, we are reflecting on the year of the Imago Gay podcast. It's been a little over a year since that defining moment of disclosing my bi identity. So, today is a reflection of this entire year of growth healing, and the journey of learning to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. I've had an amazing number of guests on this show that have taught me so much about theology, the importance of therapy, and how to move forward as a community with vision and hope. Today, I'm talking a little bit about managing the anxiety of being different and what that means within our religious communities. We also answer the big question of, When all of our dragons are slayed, who am I now? Our co-host for this week is spiritual care provider Roxanne Del Valle, along with yours truly, Kendra Arsenault. This week is our concluding podcast for Imago Gay this season, which has been sponsored by two organizations that are so near and dear to my heart. I want to give a special thank you to Spectra Magazine and Alexander Carpenter in particular, who has been a safe haven in a storm. Spectrum really came running to support so many in the LGBTQ community, including myself, many of whom lost their religious communities over this last year. Spectrum continues to support the voices of the marginalized, and Alexander and his organization have been a beacon of excellent journalism and intellectual freedom. I'm also filled with an incredible amount of gratitude for SDA Kinship and Floyd Peanuts, who partnered with Spectrum this season to support this project. Lifting up my voice, as well as many others in the LGBTQ community, consistently taking a stand against injustice, and envisioning a more inclusive community for tomorrow. To both of you, I have nothing but an incredible amount of respect and love. And if you are a listener and are able, please be sure to support these incredible organizations at spectrumagazine.org and sdakinship.org. So welcome back to Imago Gay. We're happy to be here. Your co-host, Roxanne Del Valle. I'm so glad to have you back. You were missing <laughs> for a couple weeks and we missed you. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed the content that you put out in my absence. Today, it has been a year since the launch of Imago Gay. And maybe we can process over kind of this year-long journey, lessons and what we're walking away with. I'd be curious to hear what you learners have been walking away with, those of you who are listening out there. I can just, I just want to give my just appreciation for everybody who has taken the time to listen to this podcast. I love hearing your feedback and the things that you guys have been learning. It's been a special experience for me to journey with you. So I'm going to process a little bit about what this year has been as we come to a close Yeah, I think I also have a sense of gratitude for the ways people and listeners have interacted with the material we put here, but mostly just to have a space where we can create safety and feel safe to share what our process has been. I mean, we've shared so much of ourselves in these conversations. And so I think I'm, I'm looking forward to just talking today. Yeah. So it's... It has been a gift to me. 
Me too. I mean, I am excited to share some things that I feel like I've been learning and just maturing and growing. In fact, you have, you've been taking this class that talks about the height of maturity. And this is for continuing education for your chaplaincy. It's a family therapy course. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what is the height of maturity? (laughs) So A, surrounding yourself with people who are very skilled and knowledgeable in their disciplines is always a recipe for maturity. (laughs) More recently, we've been talking about Bowen's intergenerational theory and the concept of differentiation. Which means, what does that mean? And it just refers to one's ability to separate the interpersonal and interpersonal distress that one feels. So when you're looking at it from the angle of the interpersonal, you're really trying to differentiate thoughts from feelings. And when you're looking at it interpersonally, you're differentiating where oneself ends and another begins without losing yourself. And it's not really that complicated to understand. It might sound a little confusing at first, but basically it's saying, how do you manage that balance between wanting to belong and wanting to feel connected and to be at peace with those around you without compromising your sense of autonomy? And the reason it was so helpful for me to give language to this piece of growing and differentiating myself from the church was that, oh, I I do want to connect. I I do want to belong. In fact, that was kind of the overriding aim for me. It was like, how do I find myself without losing my community? How do I discover where I begin and, and where the community ends and where I end and the community begins? I just think I was so enmeshed in my relationships that I I had a very poor concept of self. In fact, I think that now being in my 30s, I'm discovering how I actually like to dress and what I actually enjoy listening to. And so much of that was edited so that I would fit into a mold and into my community because my interests were so enmeshed. And I did need to kind of put everybody's expectations of me on hold and on pause, even God's. I think there was a conversation I had with God at one point where I was like, okay, this might be disappointing to you. I've dedicated my whole life to you and I've wanted to please you, God, my whole life. And I've tried my best to mold myself to reflect you as best as I can. But I, I have questions and answers that are unfulfilling. And I would like to ask for your grace to just kind of put judgment on pause until I can find solid answers. You know, so dissecting all those things kind of began the unraveling that resulted in the most beautiful time of my life. Yeah, I'm glad that you, you shared that. I like the definition of navigating interpersonal anxiety being able to say there's a difference here and how do I navigate the anxiety that I feel at the presence of difference. And for somebody like myself, I feel like I've grown up as kind of a peacemaker. I felt like I needed to 
shoulder responsibility to be a peacemaker in my home. And I think I carried that with me for such a long time. I think any parent can identify in the sense of like, you don't feel at peace unless you know that your kids are okay. You know, and I think that that's an appropriate place to be. But I think I felt that way about everything. I felt that way about the entirety of the members of my family. Like, I'm not at peace unless everybody is okay. And of course, not everybody's going to be okay at a single time. I did that with my friend groups. I did that with my peers. And I constantly tried to create external peace. And in that process, inevitably, you lose yourself because you're so busy trying to just create the stability in everybody else's life. And I think for me, that's been quite a pattern to just kind of abandon myself, abandon my own likes, my own interests, my own ways of being in order to create this externalized sense of peace and having to say, okay, sometimes there will be no peace. (laughs) And taking the words of Jesus, I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. Like I'm not that kind of (laughs) radical. (laughs) I'm not trying to create division. (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) I'm just... I'm just realizing like, I'm not here to bring people peace. Mm -hmm. Like I'm here to just be myself. And for me, I think it's taken the entirety of this year and the unpacking and the processing that we've done on this podcast just to not internalize the things that had happened and the rejection that I felt as rejection. As much as in verity in many ways it was, But I think at this part of my life, I'm starting to just see that it's possible just to outgrow each other, (laughs) you know? Um, I think I was on a trajectory of growth that did not align with where the church was or where the organization was. And breakups are hard. I think the impact of those breakups can be mitigated by navigating them differently, But inevitably, at the end of the day, I was outgrowing a lot of the beliefs and theology of the church, not because I'm a sinner and I've fallen away and I'm so drunk in my own sin (laughs) that I can't reason, but just that I, I needed a worldview that made room for people and made room for differentiation and made room for LGBTQ people specifically. (laughs) Yeah. And to say like, that's who I have become and I have outgrown this. And I think that is starting to mitigate some of the, even the disappointment that I felt with people that I'm like, are still very heavily involved. And a part of me is like, this is your time to stand up for injustice or to say something and put your neck on the line, to be brave and to be bold and to just realize it's okay that I'm in a different part of my growth than you are and that we are just two different people now. People might say, well, I didn't grow up in the church, but I grew up in the church in the sense of like, from the time I was 10, that's the time that you are growing up and you're building your ethics, you're becoming a person and you're building your sense of self. And I think somewhere along the line, I, I, I gathered to myself this idea of kind of like marriage. You say I do and you stick with this person, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how different you are, no matter how, like, how far apart you grow, you just stick it out, you know? Um, but not every relationship in life is a marriage. 
right? Regardless of how you feel about that. (laughs) Well, I think you're pointing to something really important and it's that, well, I'll just speak from the LGBTQ lens. Mm -hmm. You get to a fork in the road where you realize, okay, there are two things that I value that are highly incompatible, at least the way that they are framed. And what's beautiful about language is that we can always reframe and that we can always expand on and find, like you say in this podcast, and I think it comes very full circle, bigger box for a bigger God. I think when the options of black and white feel too restrictive and too incompatible with one another, you kind of zoom back enough until it seems all like one road again, like, mm. until there's a larger category that encompasses both roads. The church doesn't teach us to differentiate. It teaches us to assimilate. And we perpetuate a culture of self-sacrifice and other loving, but it's really self-defeating because a community that doesn't understand what it's like to satiate themselves and know themselves has no concept of what it's like to do that genuinely for another person. I didn't, when I was training to be a chaplain, I didn't get it. I really didn't. My supervisor would tell me, you can only take somebody as far as you've been yourself. And it goes back to this concept of loving yourself. So one of the examples for me was like, I remember I used to walk in heels around the hospital every single day for eight hours a day. And I had this pain in my toe that was killing me. I mean, seriously, I don't know how I would go back and put on my heels again. And I know that I I wanted to look cute. I wanted to prioritize my style. And mind you, I think I'm a very compassionate and loving person. If somebody next to me is telling me that their feet hurt, I'm like, let's get rid of these shoes and get comfortable. But here I am putting myself through that pain. And then my supervisor sat down with me and I had had this pain. I, I really thought my toe was broken. And she's like, we're going to go down to the ED. And I was like, no, we can't go down to the ED. That's not that. It's not that urgent. She's like, well, then let's go to urgent. I was like, no, 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 I don't, I don't need it. And I was like, but you think your toe is broken. And, and I was like, yeah, but it'll be fine. It'll heal. And she's like, what is this resistance I'm coming across? And I was like, well, And we start to dissect it. And growing up, you really only go to the emergency room or to the hospital when it's absolutely dire and necessary. Because otherwise, for low-income family, yeah, it's like a waste of resource. But then she challenged me to think about, like, what if you're the most valuable thing in the world? What if no money could replace you or your well-being? She's like, okay, let's say this was your daughter. If your daughter was in pain because of the shoes she was wearing and she felt like she had broken her toe, would you take her to urgent care? It's like, yes, immediately. And we found out in that moment that it was easier for me to access compassion for another human being than it was for me to access it for myself. But... 
she looks at me and she says to me, if you don't learn to take care of yourself, you won't ever know to take care of another person. So you have generations and generations and a culture within the church that promotes sympathy rather than real, genuine empathy. Not for any lack of wanting, but because of the way it's structured to sacrifice self. And so it's like, how do you begin to even discover yourself or differentiate when the whole system is tailored to being other oriented or or even just God oriented? Yeah. So how do you learn to differentiate or have a healthy sense of self outside of it? I, I agree. I think that's very true. I think what I would say is coming up for me at this point in my life is just not having the maturity to to call it quits or not having the maturity to leave a relationship long before it goes bitter. From my earliest relationships, I feel like I have clung to them long after they have gone stale. I can think of myself, you know, in high school, my first boyfriend, definitely not a healthy relationship. But I remember thinking like, I've crossed some lines. I've got to be married to this person. And I was fully prepared to say, I made these choices. I now have to live with them. And this framework of marriage in some ways, in a Christian sense of like, you make a commitment and it's forever. I think I've taken that in so many relationships, whether that's friendship, whether that's career-wise, whether that's relationship, like I settle down into relationship and I'm ready to commit long-term long after I should have left. And what ends up resulting is I get kicked out (laughs) at some point. I am willing to stay much longer than I need to. And I can go back even to my marriage. It was something that took me to be literally kicked out of to literally have someone physically drag me out of my home and have to live in my car for me to make peace with myself that this relationship is over because I scrap and I fight and I am in it and I'm going to try and make this square peg fit into a round hole and I'm, I'm going to give it my all. And is that, is that because you love them so much or because you don't, love yourself enough? I mean, that's a good question. It's not, I don't think it's, oh, I love them so much. I I have to make it work. I think I, I valued commitment and I believed in some ways in my duty to God. And I also think that I valued myself so little that I didn't know who I would be outside of that relationship. I didn't know who I was and what my potential was. And I think the same thing happened in in the church. You know, it's like I am willing to stay and to scrap and to try and mold myself because outside of it, I don't know who I am or I didn't know who I was. And in a lot of ways, I'm still discovering who I am. And and, and the church does such a good job of offering you an identity. Oh, it says go to seminary for four years (laughs) and this is your identity. You can be a spokesperson for us. And with somebody with 
codependency issues like that's perfect thank you like totally absorb me into your identity because i don't have one it just it just it's just like a fast food for meaning and purpose your purpose in life is to evangelize to convert people and bring them to the kingdom of christ right so that's taken care of your your sense of belonging fast-tracked you belong to us you belong to a community of believers and more specifically you're on the books of this church you have a great mission and we have such a big identity that our whole calling is to make you into nothing and so it's like perfect (laughs) that's exactly what i want to be anyway (laughs) yeah it's a fast food for for meaning and purpose and for relationship and a sense of direction in life you don't have to come up with new questions the answers are there exactly and i think for me one of my breaking points of like disillusionment was the fact that i really thought that god was going to give me a vision of this is your life and this is what you're supposed to do and i i prayed for those marching orders to fall down from heaven and i had cried and on my knees so many nights saying god please tell me exactly what you want from me like not a general sense of direction but like you know me better than i know me so give me the thing that would make me the happiest you know where my happiness lies god you know the answer to this question i'm I mean, seeking it just removes the agency from it all you just get to clock yeah. in hey i've made it my one decision is to be a part of this to follow the rules and to accept you Everything else is taken care of. God will give me the answers. He will tell me when. He will tell me who. He will tell me what. He will speak to me. <laughs> the doors were open. The doors were closed. Like, and and when I and the day that I realized, like, he is not going to answer this prayer. Like, he is not going to tell me exactly what he wants out of my life. Really felt almost abandoned. Wait, like, wait, wait to clarify, when you say God didn't tell you then what he wanted for your life or what your purpose was. What are you referring to exactly? Because I think some people are listening and thinking, wait, the the purpose and the mission is clear. Like everybody has the same calling. Well, I think there was still some like very practical, okay, I'm going to seminary, but I feel different. I don't feel that I fit the exact pastoral call. So so where am I supposed to be? What doors are supposed to open? Where am I supposed to go next? And so there was some agitation still inside my body of thinking, what do I do? And that was something that was never answered. T.D. Jakes had a sermon one day that just stuck with me. He's like, some people are praying for chairs and for tables, but God made trees. And basically saying he's giving you the raw material. You make the table, you make the chair, you make... and." It makes so much sense. There's so much like creative co-creativity in that process of like, here's the raw material and I'm going to create out of that. But I didn't have that. I didn't have that part of me. I'm like, this is a, this is a tree. I have zero idea what to do with this tree. I don't even know what I want to do with this tree. I don't think I'm really good at carpentry. (laughs) I think I'm just going to sell a bunch of trees because I, I don't know how to make anything out of this. (laughs) And then, and then you're surrounded by people who use all this jargon. I'll speak to my experience. I had people in my church, my family, my friends were saying things like, God said no, God told me clear no, God closed that door, or God said yes and opened this door. And I think 
coming to realize what that process actually was because I took it at face value for a lot of my life. And I don't mean that in a, an instant way. Like mm. I didn't, I didn't think, Oh, God could audibly or does audibly tell everybody. I mm. mean, I do think it happens for some people, but mm. I, I felt like someday I'll have this clarity within me about when God is speaking to me, when he's being directional in my life and I won't question it. And that'll be a true barometer for how close and intimate I am with God and how in tune I am with God. Mm. I mean, I, I really think my training in psychosocial theories, because it has allowed me to really understand what people attribute to God. And when you start to see personal attachments, really inform their bias around how God relates to them. When you start to notice the counter transference that happens and how like developmental issues are really projected into a relationship with the divine and you start to see the patterns that are so unhealthy on an individual level and then on an interpersonal level play out in the dynamic with God, mm. it was just kind of like, disillusionment yeah is the word is the only word because it was like this land of fairies where god speaks to people directly and not to say it doesn't happen but the way it was presented to me growing up and, and the ideas i created around how directive god could be yeah and then how these people actually arrived at those conclusions and then i saw all the bias that informed their discernment I couldn't appreciate it in the same way. And more than anything, my theology started to actually make sense. This co-creative process that you're talking about. Yeah. Like that's that's something I conceptualized, but I, I didn't live in practice. I didn't live a co-creative process with God. Everything was, did God open that door? Is this something that God wants? Or is this of my own making? Is this of like, <laughs> am I out here on my own? Yeah. And and to realize like these things actually happen together. And so for me, I look at all of my relationships and I see this tendency for me to hang on by the skin of my teeth, claw my way into making something fit rather than just letting myself outgrow something when I outgrow it. And what it has in turn done, I think, has caused a lot of trauma in that I've experienced rejection again and again and again. And I've internalized that in so many ways as rejection. And that only heightens my sense of, well, I need to be more perfect. I need to find a better way to please people, right? Because I keep getting rejected rather than internalize it in the sense of, I have consistently outgrown these things and I could not do myself the mercy of walking away that in some divine cosmic way, God did me the mercy of cutting me off so that I could move on, that I could continue to grow. And I think that's really what I'm coming to this season of my life of like being able to look at all the things that were in many ways, potentially very painful were also very necessary for my growth. And I can look back in a much more compassionate way and also see the deficiency of like, I'm unwilling to move on because I don't know who I am. Yeah, I, I think you're 
I, I really love how vulnerable you're being because you're bringing the idea to an actual lived experience. So here you are in a marriage or in a relationship, you've talked about several, in which you stuck around because you wanted to do it out of principle, out of commitment, out of pleasing God. It was easier because I didn't have to find out who I was. I can hide myself under these identities. You're a wife. You're a Christian. You're committed. I'm a You're... host, right? <laughs> I am literally a host yeah. uh, in, the, in, in that sense. So maybe walk me through, when do you learn to differentiate? I mean, I know it takes many, like, repetitions of this dynamic. Like, you don't realize it the first time, and it keeps... The pattern keeps on replicating itself, almost like a template to other relationships. Yeah. But here you are, not paying attention to your own needs, not paying attention to your own wants, maybe. Not even putting that at the forefront of your decision making. Yeah. But really just trying to act as a vessel where everything, the moral code that has been prescribed by maybe not necessarily a theological ethic, but more of like that religious identity that and church even, And even me going into theology is such a way to just lose myself in somebody else. You spend four years learning about God. You're learning about another person. You're learning about this other system that has nothing to do with you and that requires complete oblivion of self to be able to, to, to serve it, <laughs> to serve it well. Yeah, And that's what being a pastor is. In so many ways, you're having to be what other people expect you to be. You're having to fulfill their fantasy, be their hero, be their Jesus. And that, in many ways, means to lose who you are. Because nobody is really that good or that perfect or that great. Yeah. And every pastor knows that they kind of feel like a charlatan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> because they're like, I know I'm not this good or great, but I'm playing this role to fulfill it for these people. So... Yeah, the mask does come off and, and and because nobody is perfect and nobody can live up to these ideas. I, I don't, I mean, how many times did I hang out with other quote unquote pastors in training? There's Only, regular people. <laughs> <laughs> they are just regular human beings right. and who are suppressing a lot of themselves. Yes, which was a pleasant them. surprise as a former suppressor. Yeah. Like it was so fun to hang out with people that you could relax around when you nobody can take else the would. mask off because we're like, okay, we all know we're wearing a mask. Right, everyone take it off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and so, so I think this period of my life, where there's no big identity to hide under, there's no no MDiv, there's no big church, there's no big God. There's no oppressive husband. There's no dominating relationship that is keeping me from being who I am. In so many ways, this is like I'm having to face maybe the thing that I was subconsciously running from for so long, which is who are you? That it's so much easier to get lost in everything else than to put yourself out there and to realize you're, you were just never good enough. Right. But I'm in that period of my life where it's like there's nobody who's going to stop me from actually finally developing into this final stage of development of like, you can only be you now. Yeah. And who is that? Yeah. And that's the big question that I'm left with even right now. I think it's 
more bearable to be rejected by the, the people that don't know all of you and with the people you haven't brought your full self to than it is to be in the rawness of your full self, vulnerable and exposed to the elements, reaching for your dreams, and then to not achieve. I think that's a pain. But what's really powerful about the queer experience is that you learn to be courageous and it creates a new code for everything else. There are not many big steps and leaps before you realize you've actually walked a long way and you've been very courageous your whole life. That I think helps you to face other parts of yourself and other parts of your life with the same kind of nakedness. Coming out is such a process and it happens over and over. We don't understand that like coming out to our community is just like one of the many ways we have to step out of these closets that we've formed. What you're talking about is what used to feel like rejection really morphs into just feeling incompatible. As I learn to differentiate, I, I know that I've been erased from the books and I know that my church doesn't claim me. And, and in some ways I've been cast out. But I can't help, I just feel like it's an inevitable separation for the ways I'm honoring who I am. And whereas before I was so focused on reconciling and keeping the peace, I have matured to live with the uncomfortable feelings that result from tension in relationship, where it's okay if my church is angry at me, that's not gonna actually dictate who you My, are in who, this moment. Who I am and how I behave and all that, which was an anxiety I could not bear before. But as I start to really honor who I am and love and feel loved by God, I have also kind of learned to bear, which I'm envious of young people. I mean. That are able to do it from such an early age. Yeah. I am so envious of people that learn to differentiate, to say, well, this is what my parents want, or this is what my school wants, or this is what so-and-so wants, and and that's just not me. Yeah, I couldn't do that. As a young person, I, I was way too invested in everybody else's happiness. Yeah, And that lesson of like loving myself just didn't land. Everybody else was a priority, and I was not yeah. in my own world. So... Maybe like Jesus, maybe it is true. Maybe we have not come to bring peace, but a sword. <laughs> Very good ending. I love that. <laughs> That's it, Queerly Beloved. This is the conclusion for this year's Imago Gay podcast. Thank you to everyone who has journeyed with us. I will be back in February. This year of growth can be perfectly summarized in the words of Jesus. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. Sometimes being yourself will lead to division, and that division can lead to anxiety. But just know you are not responsible for someone else's peace if it compromises your own. God divided night from day, the land from water, the Red Sea. 
Division can be a holy work. So be yourself and let the waters part. I've been your host, Kendra Arsnow. You can find me on Instagram at Kendra Arsnow with an X. And you can also follow our co-host for today, spiritual care provider Roxanne Del Valle at Roxanne Marie. A big thank you for this year's sponsors, Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International. I look forward to a new year with you all. So for now, much love, peace, and joy. Thank you.